I like those words. There is no other king like him. There is no other king. There is no other God. This morning, as we prepare for Easter, today is a special day because today is, is Palm Sunday. The Sunday prior to Easter, we always celebrate Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday has a very special meaning because we, we look at Matthew chapter 21, which is where we'll be this morning, and we read about the triumphal entry of Christ. I want to talk this, this morning about what does it mean that, that Jesus is King. We talk a lot about Christ as our Savior, Christ as our Lord, but today is definitely a day that we need to focus and understand what it means that, that Jesus is our King. We spent a little bit of time last week talking about the kingdom, and we're going to talk about that more in the, in the regards of the fact that He is our King. And in Matthew chapter 21, it says in verse 1, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, and they came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, and I believe this is originally from Zechariah, and it says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Jesus knew in advance what was going to actually happen spontaneously, but the people had been restless at many times when Jesus had done miracles to want to go ahead and just throw him uh, and, and have him overthrow the government and make him king right, right then. After he had, he had provided so much bread and fed the 5,000, he disappeared at one point there on a boat and got away because the people were ready to enthrone him as king. Not long before this, Jesus had actually raised, called forth Lazarus from the dead. No one had ever done that before. And seeing this, they're like, well, this is, you know, the people were ready for for an actual, literal kingdom here on earth. And their understanding of Messiah was that that's the kind of thing that would take place at this point. And they were ready for Jesus to be king. It says, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put, them on, their, and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Which Hosanna is this, uh, basically the best way we can understand what that means is it means save us, Savior, Hosanna it's a mixture of praise and celebration, but it also means save us. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So the people were ready for, for Jesus to become king, and they had expectations of what that kingdom would look like. The things would change, the things would be, would be different. And they didn't quite understand the, the actual plan that, that Jesus had in store and what it meant for him to be king, what a, what a kingdom would look like. And, and even today, in some ways, I think we misunderstand what it means here and now that Jesus is king. The people back then had to surely be confused trying to figure out and understand what was happening here because we see Jesus arrive so triumphantly and then not long after he's, he's being nailed to a cross. And they see him die on the cross. And they don't understand what that means. Looking back, it's easier for us to understand and to realize what was about to take place on Good Friday, to know that Jesus was going to be the final sacrifice once and for all for the sins of the world. He had been telling that to his disciples all along, that he would be that final sacrifice, but they just didn't get it. They just didn't understand what that would mean. But Jesus entered Jerusalem knowing what was ahead of him, to be our Savior and to be, to be our King. We see even prior to this, we're going to look at some background here to, to see what Jesus knew and understood. In John chapter 12, let's take a look at John 12, verse 30. Actually, I'm going to back up a little bit. Let's take a look at John 12, 27. He says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Jesus knew what was ahead. He said, Father, glorify your name. Then a, a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake and not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus says something interesting. Now is the time for the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. I think what's interesting to me, what's fascinating is that with, with what Jesus did on the cross, it talks about, and, and, and rising from the dead, that our sins have been forgiven. The past is wiped away. The old is gone. The new has come. We read these different things in Scripture, that He is our King, that He is the, he is the, the Lord of Lords. 
We see that the prince of this world has been cast out. The powers of darkness have been defeated. But then we, we look around us, and we look at the world around us, and it's, and it's hard to understand in some ways exactly what that means. How is he king? How, is, how, is, how have the powers of darkness been defeated? And yet we still see darkness. We still see sinful things. And it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to understand. There's two things I want to bring up in that regard. For, for one of those is the way that we look at time, and we've mentioned this over the last few weeks, is that Jesus once and for all did die for the sins of the world. The powers of darkness are defeated. But the way that we experience that right now is a little different than, than when Christ comes back the second time. We, once and for all, Jesus did die for the sins of the world. We are forgiven. Our sins are wiped away. They're wiped clean. We see that and we understand that in Scripture. But for a little while, we are going to continue to be in a world that is still, that are, where sin and evil still is among us. Though it's been defeated, we still see it around us. We still experience it around us. Because the kingdom of God, what took place when Jesus died on the cross, when he rose from the grave as they welcomed him as king, is that it was inaugurated. It was set up. It was put in place. But it was put in place for the king to put us in charge and then to come back. Let me explain that. I want us to look at a particular passage of, of Scripture that will help us to understand this a little bit. I want to make sure I've got my ducks in a row here. Luke, excuse me, Luke chapter 19. All right, Luke 19:11. I'm still getting used to uh, this change in my age or I'm going blind. I can't figure out whether to keep my glasses on or take them off. I know, I just got to figure this out. I don't have them. So Luke 19:11, there's a very interesting passage. 19.11 says, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. What a story with a meaning for them to understand, right? Because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. You know, they, they, we have this inauguration of the kingdom, the people laying down their cloaks and all this stuff, expecting a kingdom their way. Jesus shares his story because they expected it to appear immediately. He said, Therefore a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. That's a key phrase right there. He went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. He set up a kingdom. It's like, okay, we have, we've come to this place and we plant this flag Okay, I'm going to go away for a little while and I'm going to come back, but I'm going to leave my people here to keep the kingdom going and for the kingdom to spread and for the kingdom to grow. He inaugurated the kingdom. 
Does that make sense? He went to set up a kingdom for himself. He went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. That's a key thing to keep, keep our mind on. And though that kingdom has been inaugurated, it's been set up, doesn't mean that what you currently see is everything that it will be. But it also does not mean that it's not his kingdom. I think that's key to keep in mind. And so, he shares this story and he says, Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, a certain amount of money, and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. Now, that's interesting because even in a kingdom, there are people who are loyal servants and there are those who are not servants at all. God is indeed king now, but there, the, this, his kingdom is not full currently of loyal servants, is it? There is a collection, there is a, there's a, a number of people that cover the earth that are loyal servants and lovers of the king of kings and lord of lords, but right now he is not forcibly enforcing his kingdom. He has a delegation of people that are there. That's us. So some of the citizens says hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. But it says this, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. He gave them a certain amount of money, put them in charge and said, Basically, keep up with the affairs of my kingdom. But the time comes where he finds out, well, what did you do with it? Okay? And the first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful and very little, you have authority over ten cities. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't the aspect of making more money. It was more the aspect of influence, wasn't it? I've given you this, but now you're going to be over 10 cities. Your influence, you've been a faithful servant, the spreading, the understanding of the kingdom, of the gospel. We're going to give you more influence. We're going to give you more cities. So he gives them these other cities. Second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? So you've got a guy who, you've got two guys who, with the level of responsibility that they had, spread the kingdom. Then you've got one guy who did literally absolutely nothing. Did the, the least that he possibly could. Didn't even put it 
in the bank, in this case, for there to be interest. It says, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. Anyway, this story is shared, and then it talks about the triumphal entry again in the book of Luke. The whole point is, is that, again, he set up a delegation. He set up his kingdom. There are people that are loyal to the throne and people that are not. But the kingdom of God is not how we typically think of a kingdom. It's very multifaceted. And I want us to begin to try to think of the kingdom of God the way that Jesus describes it, because as you go through the Gospels, he continues to describe it in different ways. The kingdom of God is like this, and it's like this, and it's like this. And the people at that time literally expected a physical kingdom. One day it will be that way. But part of this delegation, part of understanding the kingdom of God is to understand these other things that Jesus had to share as well. Let's look at some examples. And I might ask for your help just to make this quick. In Luke 17, 20 through 21, this is a key verse. Actually, I'm not far from it, so I'll just flip there myself. 17, 20 through 21. It says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said this, he said, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Let's stop there for a second. It's not coming in ways that can be observed. It's not something you're necessarily going to see with your eyes, at least in this description and at least what we're experiencing even now. Okay, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways it can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the what? It's in the midst of you. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's not something that you're going to necessarily see with your eyes. But the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. That's an interesting understanding. wonder what he means by that, right? Let's take another look at something similar. Let's flip to Matthew chapter 12. Or punch the buttons on your phone, whichever you're preferring this morning. Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. This is in the middle of a situation where the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of, of using Satan to cast out Satan, which doesn't make any sense. He said in verse 28, though, it says, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How does a, how does a kingdom that we think about in traditional terms come upon you. The United States is our best understanding of a kingdom since we live in it. You know, we don't have kingdoms like we used to, you know, but it doesn't come upon you. It's a, it's a place, right? It's a, we have a president, we have a Congress, we've got all these kind of things. And Jesus says that, that the kingdom 
of God has come upon you. And what we're, what we're starting to see here as we look at this understanding of the kingdom, at one point I believe it will be a physical kingdom. The Bible teaches that as well. But right now what we're experiencing is this, is the influence of the kingdom of God. That is a, a kingdom that you find yourself in the midst of. It's a kingdom that, that comes upon you. The best way that we can think about this, I think, and understand it a little bit is that it's broader than this, but the Israelites, as we've been reading through the Bible this year, when they were to meet with God, there was one specific place that they would go. That was what? That was the temple, the Ark of the Covenant. And it was there that literally heaven met earth. There's where you could say that the kingdom of God was. What's revolutionary is that since Christ has come, is that the Bible teaches that those who believe in Christ, those who follow or are followers of Him, carry with them the Spirit of God. And that literally, we, you know, if we stop here for a moment and pray, the kingdom has come right here, right now. pretty mysterious. The kingdom pops up all over the globe wherever his followers are. Wherever there is a believer in Christ, there is a kingdom moment. The kingdom of God has come upon that area when the influence of a believer is shared with others, when, he, when, it, when Christ is represented. Does that make sense? I know it sounds a little hokey, we're going we're gonna to look at some scripture a little bit more, and I will show this to you, okay? But, it, but Jesus is describing it. It's in the midst of you. Why is it in the midst of you there? Because Christ was there, okay? Does the Bible teach that Christ goes with us as believers in Christ? You don't act like you're so sure. We'll, we'll look. The kingdom of God, in Matthew 12, has come upon you. In Luke 10, 9, another example of this. This is where the kingdom of God is just not acting like a typical kingdom. Luke 10, 9 says this. This is when the 72 are sent out, these disciples of Christ. And back up in verse 8, it says, Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Let's look at another passage. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. We took a look at this last week. When we pray, Jesus gave us the model prayer. He said, pray like this, our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. We, we mentioned last week that's, may your name be holy. May it be exalted as holy, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, basically, where God dwells, the presence of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When, when God's kingdom comes, that means that things are done his way. We use the term, you know, that's a kingdom moment. In time, in space, when God's will is done, his kingdom is coming in that moment. We mentioned this a little bit last week when there, there's two ways of, approach, of approaching things. Uh, just thinking about where I'm at during the week, if a homeless man comes by, God, we learn about Scripture taking, uh, where God says, Jesus has to take care of the poor. Someone comes by and does nothing. Someone else comes by, representative of Christ, and, and stops and gives that man food, money, whatever. Regardless of how you feel about that, there's a lot of philosophies in helping someone. But that becomes a kingdom moment. When God's will is done on earth as it is with him in heaven, there is a kingdom come. Thy will be done, says on earth as it is in heaven. That is God's kingdom coming. There is a moment where his kingdom is showing up in this place and in this time. Like it did in Israel, there's God. People can point and see God's kingdom showing up in glimpses all across the planet. Let me share the best way, I think, to describe this. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's take a look at verse, um, let's go back to 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Hopefully you'll think I'll be less crazy after this. It says this, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. No longer living for ourselves, living for him. What does he mean by that? From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this is how we should see them, right? He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Some versions like the NIV, it says that he's a new, he or she is a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. 
all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. We had to be reconciled because of what? The sin had to be dealt with. Who reconciled us to himself, meaning sins are dealt with, they're forgiven, we have a brand new life, things are good again between us and God like they were before Adam and Eve sinned, before they were kicked out of the garden because of sin. There was a reconciliation that took place. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to, to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. God's kingdom was inaugurated. The flag, the flag was planted. Here's his believers, and they're given this ministry of reconciliation. In a sense, he's given us all the minas to work with, and what are we doing with it? We've got this ministry of reconciliation, meaning that, hey, everybody, good news, Jesus died on the cross for you, rose from the grave, you can be forgiven, you can have new life, you can understand what it means to serve the God of all creation. So Christ was reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are what? Ambassadors. What do you have to have to be an ambassador? Kingdom. We are ambassadors for the kingdom of God. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I see things in pictures. I don't know if you're like that or not everyone is. But as ambassadors for Christ, you know, I, I always think about, and I, I'd like to do this, but it seems like having real candles at Christmas and the wax and all that kind of stuff. But if you've ever been part of a candlelight service, I always love the fact that it starts with one candle. That candle lights another one that hasn't been lit. And slowly throughout the room, candle after candle after candle lights up what once was a dark place. To me, being ambassadors for Christ, and that candle lighting the other candle that's not lit is that holy moment. That's the spreading, that's the growth of the kingdom of God. That's the understanding that we have. God is our king, even though we are still in an area that is surrounded by darkness and sin. 
And though it may not always feel like sin has been defeated, may not always feel like God is king, it doesn't mean that he's not. There will be the day for, of his second coming where it will be completely restored, where things will be completely made right. But God has planted his flag, he's given us a huge responsibility as followers of Christ to be ambassadors of his, of his kingdom that has been inaugurated, that has been set up. The question I think sometimes we might need to ask is, do we trust his kingdom plan? Do we, he's still put us in a situation that requires faith every day in every moment requires trusting him and and like the people then who expected everything to just just be completely taken care of and wiped out and he's literally physically sitting on a throne and everything's different we have to we have to trust in him we need to be faithful servants we need to to live out what he's called us to do we need to be the servants that he's called us to be as we, we looked at that particular passage. But here's the thing about the kingdom. Let's look at another, uh, another couple of things and we'll be, we'll be through. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. Let's take a look there. In this particular passage, Jesus continues to go through and he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Since you're used to seeing these physical kingdoms, this is a different kind of kingdom. This is one of those kingdoms that's going to grow from the inside. Things may not go as fast as you would like them to be, but I want to explain to you what it's like. It's like this. It's like a mustard seed. Verse 31. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, this is what it's like, it's like a grain of mustard seed. It's a little tiny seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds of air come and make nests in its branches. It starts out small, but it grows and grows and grows to the point that it's the size of a tree. And then he said to them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like leaven. It's like yeast, okay? That's what leaven is, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. And just a little tiny thing, but over time, that little ball of dough just gets massive, doesn't it? So the kingdom of heaven, our job as believers in Christ, is as many times it's not quite seen the way right now that, that we would like it to be. But it requires faith, 
requires trust in the Lord as our King. There's one final passage I want us to look at, and that's in Matthew 28. We're going to start at verse 16. Matthew 28, 16. Jesus has risen from the grave. And it says that the 11, the 11 disciples at this point went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Even at, even at this point. They worshipped him, but there were still, still doubters. Because the kingdom just wasn't quite what they had expected, I'm sure. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's everything. So what does he say? Go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now he is, he is speaking to them and to us as our king. And he says this, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Three questions just to think about. First first thing it always has to be thought of is number one is is he your king? If you're a believer in Christ, if you follow Jesus, he's your king. We are his servants. We're his faithful followers. Is he your king? It all starts with salvation. It all starts with the moment where we say, Lord, please forgive me for my sins and, and, and take this away, and I, I want to follow you with my whole heart, with my whole life, all that I am. Is he your king? Okay? So if he's your king, second question is, is are, you a, are you a faithful servant? Are we taking seriously the things that he's told us to do? Are we faithfully being a part of being, building the kingdom? What are we doing as that first story that we talked about with the minas, in other words, the, with the, uh, the gifts and abilities that he's given us for spreading his kingdom? That's really kind of the third question is, are you a, are you a kingdom builder? Are we faithfully doing what God has called us to do? And, and, and I think about that is, are we, are we taking part throughout the week in moments where, as Christ said, you're, you're a city on a hill, where, the, where our light is shining? It says no one put, hides it under a basket. Are we, are we lighting other candles? Are we spreading the kingdom of God? Are there, are there moments where we're seeking to spread the kingdom 
of God? Are, are, we, are there kingdom moments? Are there bright spots that take place? Because that wouldn't have happened without a believer in this scenario. That's Jesus showing up here. That's Jesus showing up there. And slowly, that mustard seed is growing. Slowly, that yeast is causing the rest of this world to grow, the kingdom of God to grow. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, we we thank you. Thank you today that you're our king. That you are our Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a grand picture and understanding of what that means. Lord, help us to go through our days recognizing that you are our king. Recognizing, Lord, that you've called us to be your ambassadors. You've called us to represent you well. Lord, I pray that you would help us to use the gifts and the abilities that you've given us, Lord, to to bring your kingdom into every nook and cranny of this earth. Lord, in the realm of responsibilities you've given us, Lord, help us to represent you well. Help us to realize, Lord, that Lord, that even though we have bosses in our physical jobs, that you are our true boss. Lord, that truly everything that we do is, is about pleasing you. It's about honoring you. Lord, that the only thing that truly matters when it all boils down to it is, is serving you, our King. We have a greater calling. And Lord, help us to go forth today with that understanding, with a renewed excitement, with a renewed vigor, Lord, realizing, Lord, that we serve you. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving your very self for us, for dying on the cross for our sins and raising again on the third day. Lord, we look forward to celebrating that this week. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.